Well, that was enough for me. I could go home right now. You should be so lucky. No, I actually believe God wants to encourage your hearts today and through what He showed me this week that He wants me to share with you, so I look forward to doing that. I want to pray with you first before we step into the text. So would you bow your heads with me? Father, we come before you as people who have had a pretty hectic life this week. We've been involved in so many different activities that we can't hardly believe it's another Sunday already. And yet here you still are, ready to meet us. For many of us, Father, it could be the first time that we've thought about singing a song to you or opening up your word this week. But for whatever reason, we've had this hurried, rushed pace of life, God, and we've come to this moment in time right now, ready to meet you through your word. We thank you for the songs that have been lifted up to you, and we, we declare them in truth to be really a, a worship from our heart. For those of us who know salvation through Christ, we sing this with great emotion. Father, we take that same emotion and we come to your word asking that you would speak to us, that you'd give us insights into things that we've not seen before. That can only happen through the work of your Holy Spirit. So God, we ask that your spirit would invade this place, that we would be drawn into full attention into what you want us to know. We ask this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. I always feel obligated every time we sing that song, Come Thou Found of Every Blessing, to explain why we're singing to Ebenezer Scrooge, okay? So you're not, all right? Um, The word Ebenezer that's in there, I know it's very familiar to people from Christmas stories. It's actually Ebenezer. It's a Hebrew term, and it means this marker stone in my life. So what we're saying is next time you sing that song, you'll know that Ebenezer represents this marker of what God has been doing in my life. And so you can point back to it and say, wow, God was active at this point. That's what the, the writer of that song was saying. Nothing to do with the message, completely for free, okay? So when you think of this item called annual performance reviews, does it cause a little bit of a hackle on the back of your neck to stand up when you think of your job setting? Everybody's had annual performance reviews at some point. If you haven't had one yet and you're employed in a company, you'll probably have one. You either administer one or you receive one. And some people love them and some people hate them based on where they're at and their employment status. I started thinking this last uh, couple weeks actually about what is an uh, 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 performance review, an annual performance review look like for a church? How would I evaluate what's going on here? Well, whenever I did annual performance reviews for people who worked on my staff in different organizations, I always started out by reading to them their job description and what they were responsible to do. And so, and from that point forward, we would go and look at their performance over the last year. So I have to start with myself and say, is there a performance review for me in the Bible? Is there a job description? Yep, there actually is. As a pastor of a church, there's a job description for a pastor. I don't know if you knew that. Let me show it to you. It's in the book of Ephesians. You'll see it on the screen, chapter 4 and verse 11. This is what it says, and he gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists, and here I come, and some as pastors and teachers. Four, here's my job requirements, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ. How long do I do this? Until we all attain the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. 
Could the bar be set any higher? And that's a high bar. God's saying, you keep doing this, pastor of a church, until everybody looks like Jesus. So I have my work cut out for me. So as I look at a job description like that, I have to transfer it over and say, okay, as I look at New Hope and what we are as a church, an organized church, are we looking more like Jesus? Well, I find a very good example for us in the book of Thessalonians, and that's where we're going to go this morning. This is going to feel a little bit different this morning. What we're going to do is we're going to study 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, go through it very briefly because it's a model church, and then we're going to compare it to where New Hope is at right now and give you the opportunity to evaluate what God is doing among us. Here's why I want to do this right now. Not only because it's January 2012, we've got a whole new year ahead of us, but also because I believe we are a strategic people in a strategic place at a very strategic time. It's no surprise to God that He's gathering this many people together at New Hope for a work that He wants to do. He doesn't do things by accident. So here we find ourselves in the crossroads of Michigan, the metropolitan area with I-96 corridor cutting right through, US-127 going north and south, and business I-69. And here we find ourselves in a capital city in the heart of a metropolitan complex with 300,000 plus people living within our region. What is God doing among us? How can we contrast that to what we see in Scripture? Well, we find in the book of Thessalonians a very strategic people in a very strategic time living in a very strategic place. So we're going to contrast ourselves to the people in this city called Thessalonica. What do we know about this city as we step into it so that you understand the background? We understand that Thessalonica sat at the crossroads of the Roman Empire. As a matter of fact, Rome built a major highway called the Ignatian Way. And it transcrossed between Rome, the capital city, and Asia. And all the trade routes in between had to cross through Thessalonica. I have a little map I would like you to see up on the screen so you understand where this is located on the globe's surface. If you look at the very far left of the screen, you see the boot of Italy that is most familiar to people. Shoots out into the Mediterranean Sea. Right below the boot is the island of Sicily. If you go straight north from Sicily and the boot, you run right up into that yellow circle. In the middle of that yellow circle is the city called Thessalonica. Thessalonica was the capital city of the Macedonian Empire. It belonged to Rome. It had a capital city population of about 100,000 people. Macedonia, the region itself, had a population of over a million people. And so we find this church that Paul felt obligated to launch, to plant a church in the heart of the city called Thessalonica. Now here's the background on this. Paul arrived in Thessalonica with his companions. You'll see in a minute, their names were Timothy and Silas, or Silvanus are referred to, along with others who traveled with them. And they found this city completely filled with pagan individuals, people who knew nothing about Jesus. They were just going on about their lifestyle, what they knew to do in the Greek empire. And Paul felt compelled of God to launch a church there. He began introducing people to Christ. By three months period of time after it had unfolded, this church had exploded in growth to the degree that the Jewish people living in that region who were part of the synagogue, who were not Christians, became antagonistic 
against the church and began trumping up charges against them to the point where Paul actually voluntarily left the city of Thessalonica because he didn't want any harm to come to the people of this new church. So Paul and Timothy and Silas left. They went to a city called Corinth. And in the city of Corinth, Paul became really burdened for the people back in that church in Thessalonica. So he sent Timothy all the way back to that city to get a report. How are they doing? What's going on in this brand new upstart church? Timothy returned with such a positive report. He was so thrilled with what was going on that he excited Paul. And Paul got so excited that he sat down and began to write a letter to the Thessalonians. That's where this book comes from, 1 Thessalonians, the first letter that Paul wrote to them. So if you have your Bibles with you this morning, I'd encourage you to follow along in your own Bible. If you're going to use one of the pew Bibles in front of you, it's page 159 in the New Testament. You'll also see it up on the screen so that you can follow along that way. And we'll see how God was active in this new upstart church. It's only a couple years old. Here we go with 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 1. Paul and Silvanus and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. So we've got three men speaking with one voice. These three guys are all unified together, undoubtedly recalling in their mind the names of the people at this church. They see the faces as they're penning it out, thinking of who these individuals are, and they use this wonderful expression, you're in God the Father and in Jesus Christ. They give him a very precise identity, and it's an emphasis for you on what our spiritual identity is. We're a group of people of many different backgrounds, many different cultures represented here, socioeconomic, educationally. We all represent a different background, but God sees us as completely equal in his eyes. And he saw the same thing for these people in Thessalonica. So what Paul's reminding them is, you guys, this church of Thessalonica, your heritage is in God the Father and in Jesus Christ. So that helps us realize that the church has an identity which transcends this physical location. The church, you understand, is not this building. We could be meeting in a tent out in the field and we would still be the church of Jesus Christ. It's not our physical location, and we're not a group of people who simply believe facts about Jesus. We're people who understand we're in Him. That's what Scripture says, Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So we're identified with Him closely. Let's look at what a church is supposed to look like and what the church people are supposed to look like. This comes from verse 2. We give thanks to God always for all of you, making mention of you in our prayers, constantly bearing in mind your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ, in the presence of our God and Father, knowing, brethren, beloved by God, His choice of you. There's a great reminder for you, because Paul had such huge joy over their changed lives, he's not afraid to tell them. He's personally encouraging a new believer. Hey, this is what I see in you. I'm so encouraged. I want you to know what I find admirable in your life. So he's saying this, you're on my heart. And I'm bearing you in mind. Why? Because of your work of faith. You've got a faith that works. You've got a labor of love. And you've got a steadfastness of hope 
That means a hope that endures. Well, let's, let's talk about this work of faith first. Number one, what is this work of faith? Well, we're told according to James 2.2 that faith without deeds, meaning works, is dead because our faith always leads to works. It's not the other way around. Our works don't lead to earning us faith or salvation. Our salvation yields works in our lives. We're talking about action here, some really visible action of God. Because here's what it looks like. You might be teaching a class in the church. You might be helping to serve communion. You might mow the lawn. You might change light bulbs in the light fixtures. Perhaps you go over to a widow's home to help repair her house. Perhaps you you serve in a food line. Or maybe you're packing supplies to be shipped to Africa on our trip for Kenya next week. You might be part of one of those things. That's what this work of faith is. We're talking about your deeds that you do. And the reason that we do this, the reason we perform this way, is because God is alive in us. That's what Scripture says, Philippians 2.13. For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for His good pleasure. Now let's talk about the labor of love. What does that look like? Because labor has an involvement of cost. What's the cost? It's exhaustion. Labor requires an exercise of your physical use of your body. And he uses two very interesting words here, the labor of love. And I know that might look familiar to you in English, and you think you might understand what he's saying here. But the word, first of all, for love is agape right there. And it means totally sacrificial love, that you're holding nothing back. And when he associates it with this word labor, it has a very significant meaning because the word is kopos. And kopos has this definition to it. Toil as reducing the strength, pains, labor, trouble with weariness to the point of exhaustion. Here's a real-world example of that here in our church. A couple weeks ago, a family needed to relocate to another home. They're living in one home. They needed to move to another location. Men in this church gathered together, came around this family, helped them pick up all their possessions in one day, relocated them to their new home. Labor to the point of exhaustion. That's what you're looking at. Agape copos. Some of you might serve in the Sparrow's Nest team, helping young single moms find housing or repairing their homes. That's agape copos. That's what we're talking about here. And Paul says, I see this in you, Thessalonica. I want you to know, I see this in you, New Hope. This is what we're talking about here. This agape copos. Here's the next one, the third one. The steadfastness of hope. What is that? Well, in the Greek language, it has the idea of endurance with pressure upon you. Enduring why something's pressing upon you. Well, what were they being pressed by? Well, they were were being literally brought under the, the heel or the boot of the pagan empire around them. People who had left a pagan lifestyle, who no longer worshipped the Greek gods and now began worshipping God Yahweh, were ostracized in the community. And they were starting to experience lots of tribulation in their life, especially economically. So in the midst of that, they've got this hope. And Paul says something very specific here when he uses the word steadfastness. It's the word hupomone. And I know there's lots of Greek words being thrown out to you today, but if you look inside your bulletins that you grabbed this morning when you came in, there's a study guide in there and the definitions for each of these words are in there because they're so, they're so specific in their meaning. I wanted you to really understand what he's saying here. Hupomone is a cheerful endurance. So in the midst of pressure, something pressing down, you've got a hope looking forward. See, we can't hope in the past, can we? You can't hope in something that's already gone by. 
It, it has no benefit. You can't hope in something that's already happened, and you can't hope in the present, can you? And there it goes. The present's gone. Well, there it goes again. Uh, there it's gone again. See, the present is always moving. So you can't hope in the past. You can't hope in the present. You can hope in the future. What are we hoping for in the future? What is he speaking of, this hupomone? We've got an endurance inspired by hope. What is our hope? Our hope finds its source in God. I want to remind you of this. Look with me up on the screen, Hebrews 6.18. So that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have taken refuge would have strong encouragement to take hold of the hope set before us. This hope we have as an anchor of the soul, a hope both sure and steadfast. Well, what is that hope? There it is, Titus 2.13. Looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our God, great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So our hope is in the future, the return of the King, the promise of eternity with Christ in heaven. And do you notice that in verse 4, he associates all three of these characteristics with your election. Look at it very closely. Knowing, beloved by God, His choice of you, that you've been chosen by God, and I can see it because of your labor of love, your steadfastness of hope, because you've got this endurance that perseveres. Now go with me to verse 5. For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction, just as you know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. You notice he said specifically, not in word only. You wonder why did he say that? I circled that in my Bible. Why not in word only? Because there are those for whom the Bible is only words. Many times you see them show up at churches on Christmas Day or Christmas and Easter. We call them priesters in church because they come twice a year and they are only there because of the word but they're not there because it's alive in their life, but because it's a tradition. And perhaps they want to go to church just because they think they're supposed to on Christmas. Paul's speaking about this group by saying, it didn't come to you in word only. It's just not words to you. It came in power. Well, what's this power look like in your life? This word power is very specific because we use it in the English language all the time when we use the word dynamite. It's the word dunamis. And what Paul is using here, very specifically, this word power, this force, especially miraculous power, sometimes has a violence explosion to it. Not violence bad, violence as in explosive growth. And he sees that in this particular church. We're talking about genuine soul transforming power. The kind of obvious power to wake the dead. Those who were spiritually dead have been brought to life in Christ. And Paul's reminding them of that. I see that in our church as well. That's why we celebrate things like baptism. That's evidence of God at work among us. For this group, to the degree, look with me at verse 6, to the degree you also became imitators of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much tribulation with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. You also became imitators. Now, this word's not going to be up on the screen, but I put it in your notes this morning. It's the word mimetes, and we use the English word mimic. So he's saying you're mimicking Jesus. Could you imagine a higher compliment for a church? Hey, New Hope, you look just like Jesus. 
You're mimicking him. That's what Paul's compliment is to them. That's a very high praise to be an imitator of Jesus. Here's what he's doing and what I hope to do for you, to open your eyes, for the Thessalonians in this case, to the influence they're having in the city around them and beyond the city and the region that they live in. Here's what's remarkable about this group. These Thessalonians are living in the midst of a pagan environment without the benefit of a veteran church leader to guide them. And yet, the Holy Spirit is making them look like Jesus to the degree that they became imitators of Him. This is true transformation power of the Holy Spirit at work. So verse 7 says, "...so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia." This word, example, is the word tupos, and a blacksmith would use it in this setting. When a blacksmith would forge a piece of iron in his shop, be it a hinge or a door handle, whatever it might be, he would grab his instrument called a tupos mark, and he would set it on the soft steel, and with a hammer, he would drive his particular mark into the metal. That's the word tupos. So it's an exact reproduction or, or the mark of a blow. In this case, Paul's telling them, you've got an identifying mark. What is that mark? Your identifying mark is you look like Jesus. You've got the two posts upon you. Move forward with me into verse 8 because this is where it begins to end. For the word of the Lord has sounded forth from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith toward God has gone forth, so that we have no need to say anything." Let me ask you if you agree with this statement. Your character precedes you. Nod your head if you agree with that. Yeah, your character precedes you. Sometimes you meet individuals, you come across them in a, in a setting where you've never met someone before, and they say to you, oh, I've heard about you. So-and-so told me. Well, your character had preceded you. In the case of this church, their character has preceded them. The model of what they look like, that they're imitating Jesus, has become known not only in Macedonia, as Paul's saying, that's one region, but also in the region next door, Achaia. And do you notice that he says, and also in every place, meaning around the Mediterranean area? These individuals with a brand new church, how did they accomplish this? This is obviously very remarkable. That's why Paul's so excited. This is how they accomplished it. He associates it right there with the word of the Lord. He said, the word of God has gone forth from you. This is a very specific image you need to get in your head when you see this. And the word is exekomai. And the word literally means a repeat or a reverberation. And we associate it with a trumpet when it's being played. If the military band gets together for some occasion in which they're celebrating a ceremony, they would bring the military trumpet team together. You've perhaps seen them maybe at Christmas events at the White House with five or six foot long trumpets. One trumpeter begins to play, the next trumpeter begins to play, and they begin repeating the sound over and over again. That's this word, exekomai. And it means association here in the New Testament, especially it was associated with rolling thunder, the ongoing sound, the repeat. This is the only place in the Bible this word is used. And Paul's associating it with them because the word of the Lord is rolling forth from them, echoing throughout the region. That's how people are associating them. So here's the reminder for us. Our reputation, our character, will influence how others respond to Jesus. 
that it's going forth. The word of the Lord is going forth so that everybody's hearing about them and talking about them. So here's what I want you to hear from this point. The vibrancy of your faith, how you live out your walk for Christ, not only spreads the gospel, but it also influences how people receive it when they hear it, how they think of you, because your character goes ahead of you. Would you say that this church made the most of their strategic location? I mean, they're in a setting where they're in the hub of the Roman Empire. They recognize they're a capital city with highways coming in and out. There's a seaport outside of them. Mariners made their trade and their living at their city. They've taken advantage of their location so clearly and so expansively. Do you notice how Paul finishes verse 8? I have no need to say anything else. You've done it so well, we have no need to say anything more. Verse 9, this is what ends it. For they themselves, who's the they? The they are the people in the outer regions. For they themselves report about us what kind of reception we had with you and how you turned to God from idols to serve a living and true God and to wait for His Son from heaven, whom He raised from the dead. That is Jesus, who rescues us from the wrath to come. So you're looking at a total transformation from their past life, totally involved with a pagan Greek lifestyle. And they've reversed their course and identified themselves with Jesus. That's a decisive break with their pagan background when they said, yes, we will follow Jesus. Here's what they understand that many churches have forgotten today. The church is on display for the entire world. God has put us here so that the world will look at us and be drawn to himself. A biblical community led by God's word, patterned in love. That's what's attractive to the world. So we would say the Thessalonican people recognize they're a strategic people in a strategic city at a strategic time. Because from that church, the word of Christ exploded over Europe and the other churches that Paul planted. We could say New Hope is a strategic people in a strategic place at a strategic time. And we're going to do a little self-evaluation to see if we match up to this church in 1 Thessalonians. In your notes this morning that, that you have inside your bulletin, I put in there four particular questions that you can ask yourself later today for the self-evaluation. What role is my church playing in this community? Things that you can read through and look at yourself to evaluate your own self and where you're at in it. But let's do a self-evaluation right now. I'm going to put some things up on the screen that I want you to see that perhaps you didn't know about your church. Some things that God's been doing among us that would be very good to remind us about. Well, let's start off with the really practical ones. Uh, first of all, you may not know um, if you're new here that this facility is something that was turned over to us to launch a church with about four years ago. And uh, as a result, as in the stewardship realm of things, the pews that you're sitting on, they were all repadded. The carpet was put in as new. We repainted the facility. The elevator that was put in, air conditioning, all these things are a result of God's people coming together and saying, we want to be good stewards of this facility. So men like John Palmer and other individuals, Larry Brown here, have overseen teams of people who have come together and contractors to keep this place in good repair so that we could be good stewards. But that's just one area. Let's talk about the area of finances. And we'll, we'll use that as a little bit of a measuring rod. 
Here is up on the screen, you'll see our budget year as it's continued to grow each year over the last four years. In 2008, our budget that we allowed for that year was $391,000. In 2009, it jumped to $463,000. Then in 2010, to $623,000. And this year, we're projecting $654,000. God's continuing to increase the growth of His church in that area as well. But we don't want to just measure what are we doing in money or what are we doing in buildings or even in attendance because that wouldn't be good just to measure nickels and noses. We, we don't want to do that because that's one measuring rod. There's nothing wrong with it. But that's not the measuring rod. The measuring rod really that we want to look at is spiritual growth. What's God doing among us? As far as attendance is concerned, we know that when we started, there were 17 individuals who voted to turn this facility over to us to launch the new church. They were part of a church known as Grace Fellowship. In our first week together, we had about 40 people who gathered together. Today, I can't tell you what our attendance really is. It, it seems to vary considerably depending on the season. I can't tell you if we're a church of 500 or 700. I don't know how many of those 700 that are part of our mailing system really identify themselves and say, New Hope is my home church. Because people tend to have somewhat of a sporadic attendance in, in different seasons. But those are nickels and noses issues. Let's talk about some of the spiritual issues. Here's a note that came in from one of our missionaries this week. I'd like to share it with you so you can get an imprint of what is God doing among us internationally. Dear New Hope family, our eyes have been open to see our own strengths and weaknesses and to see how we can be involved in what God is doing in Thailand. Words also fail us when we think of the sacrifices you, our New Hope family, have made to see this work continue and flourish. New Hope is our primary source of financial and prayer support as dozens of individuals believe with us that God's Word has the power to change lives. Thank you so much for your continued support, encouragement, and prayers as we take this journey together, trusting that God will do His part to bless the harvest. Rick and Sharon Bruce. They're one of multiple missionaries that we support or organizations that you as a church, every time you give a gift to the church, you're helping to support their work. Well, let's switch over to programs. What are we doing in the realm of discipleship? We know that we have these various adult classes that are going on. There's children downstairs right now that are being educated in the things of God. There's adults that are meeting right now downstairs at this time where we're up here. They're in classes downstairs. What's God doing there? Well, I'll give you one example. We'll look at the programming in the children's ministry area. First of all, this children's ministry in September of 2007, there were about 20 children that were registered as part of our program when we were getting going. And average attendance out of that was about 10 kids a week that would come. And Debbie was managing four to six volunteers at that time. Today, Debbie has 176 children registered in the children's ministry. And she's on a regular basis working with about 60 children a weekend. We're talking sixth grade and under. And she's managing about 25 volunteers per weekend, adult volunteers, who are helping her accomplish the ministry of discipleship. There's another measure for us. Let's switch over to the one of generosity. How are you doing in the realm of generosity beyond money? The very tangible part of dollars. What about generosity in something that we can measure? As recently as a month ago, 
A month ago, we sent out Christmas boxes from New Hope, and I, I want you to see this. If you're new to New Hope, you may not know what this is. Um, these are shoe boxes that individuals in the church stuff with items that they're going to send to underprivileged children overseas, little care packages. And within that is a gospel presentation as well. So every underprivileged child living wherever in the world that receives one of these is getting the gospel message associated with it. In 2009, New Hope was a collection center for these. So 905 boxes went out. 300 of those came from the New Hope family. 2010, 1,084 of those went out. 451 from the New Hope family. This last year, 2011, 2,354 shoe boxes went out. 1,233 from the New Hope family. You see God continuing to do this increase among us? It's resounding forth. This is cool to be part of. And those shoeboxes went out to Peru, Ecuador, Zambia, India, Burkina, Faso, and Zimbabwe. Places you'll probably never go to. But you allowed the impact of God working through you to resound forth over to those realms. Here's the last one I want you to hear because this specifically talks about the message beyond our walls. We many times think it's associated with our weekend activities, but what is God doing beyond our walls outside of this region? I have two examples for you of individuals who make use of the New Hope website. The first one comes from Washington State. This is from uh, Colville, Washington. Dear New Hope, Colville, Washington is a very rural area, and it's hard to find the in-depth teachings that we get in the New Hope podcast. We get no radio reception living between two mountains, so we are limited to downloads from the net. We listen to the podcast over and over. This next one is from a family that lives in Michigan, but they're in the northern regions. Dear New Hope, our family would like to say thank you for posting your messages on the website. Having access to the messages has been a great way to continue to learn from God's Word through the teaching, as well as helping us feel like we are connected to the New Hope family. Our girls listen to you at college. I listen as I travel by car or plane, and we listen as an example, as, uh, we listen as a family as we travel together. So I'm going to say to you, well done, church. You're doing a great job. We look like the First Thessalonian church. We're continuing to grow. We haven't experienced the kind of persecution that they did, but yet God continues to bless and increase us in size. What is he doing through us? Only he knows what 2012 is going to hold. But I would say to you, well done. You should be excited about things like this and recognize this is something only God can do. He gets all the credit. It's to His glory and honor. It's not the responsibility of one person or just a team of people. It's the responsibility of God to work through us and those of us who respond to be surrendered to Him and do what He's called us to do. This morning when you came in, when you got the bulletins, you also received these little cards that were inside there. Here's what I'd like you to do with these because you're going to find these available from now on here at New Hope. These are invitation cards for you to carry in your purse or in your wallet, your pocket, or to keep at your place of business. We're going to have these available all the time. Next week when you pick them up, they'll be a little bit thicker. These ones are a little bit thinner, but we wanted to get them out, so they went through the printer this way. And these are cards that have maps in our website and the times of the services. You want to increase the impact of New Hope in your community? Hand an invitation card to a friend at work this week. Tell them, hey, I'd just love for you to come and visit what I'm part of so that you can see what God's doing in my midst. These are things that you should really take to heart this week as you move forward. If you've identified yourself with Christ, you're part of this New Hope family, you should be excited about the evidence of what you see God doing in our region, this area. I really look forward to seeing what 2012 holds for us, though. 
Would you pray with me right now? We're going to ask God to seal these things in our hearts. Father, my heart's greatly encouraged, and I'm, I'm sure it is the case for those who have been in every service this weekend to know what you're doing in our midst and that we get to be part of it. And Father, it's very humbling, and yet we want to be known as a people who are obedient to you. So God, I won't ask specifically for your blessing on New Hope. I will ask specifically that you help us to be obedient to your word, that we would move forward in the things that you guide us to do, and we, we know that the blessing will come as a result of that. So Father, help us to move forward in obedience to what you're calling us to do. As you reveal your plans and purposes for this growing church, help this, uh, this body to have that same reputation that the church in Thessalonica did. And people in the region surrounding us would be looking and saying, what is God up to? Father, we'll give you all the credit, all the glory, and the honor for that. We take this time right now and ask that you would use us this week as we move forward. Help us not to forget these things. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Hope you have a great week.